Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Kathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of joys, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy the risk of singing the Simpsons tune, which we'll speak about in a minute, uh, our guest today is Sarah Collison, uh, the Director of Verve OT in Sydney. Welcome. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Yeah, I'm really keen to hear um, more about the the backstory of how you kind of uh, got into the driver's seat for Verve. But interestingly, how do you usually introduce yourself? So I usually introduce myself as I'm Sarah, I'm the director or the owner of Verve OT, and some of you might know me from the Endo <laughs> Writers Group on Facebook. So, <laughs> And hence the bit that about some of you might know me. So yeah, a lot of people know you, Sarah. Yes, it's quite weird. I was just talking to an OT about half an hour ago, actually, and we were talking mm-hmm. about a client and she said, oh, you know, I've been to some of your training and, and I was like, oh, okay. She's like, I kind of feel like I know you. And I was like, oh, all right then. So <laughs> um, all good things, I hope. Yeah, but does that happen to you more and more? It does. It does happen yeah. more and more. So I do tend to get um, emails or Facebook messages. But when I went down to Melbourne recently for the OT Exchange Conference, that was mm. probably the, the biggest <laughs> one where I, I had a, a couple of people come over to ask to have their photo taken with me, which <gasps> which is very kind of, oh, this is interesting, uh, which I was very happy to do. Um, But I also, you know, distinctly remember walking down through the, you know, exhibits and and people staring and turning and looking at me and thinking, oh, my God, (laughs) I got something in my face. And then I and then at one stand there was a few people staring at me and I kind of looked over and they're like, Oh, it's is it you? Are you Sarah? And I'm like, Yes. And they're like, Oh, we, you know, we're in your Facebook group and we love everything you do. And I was like, Oh, okay. And so we went over and had a really lovely chat. So yeah, I do get recognized a bit more in OT circles, not just out in general public, but certainly in OT. Well, are you comfy with it? Um, I am actually. I, I like yeah. it. I like it. I like that I'm doing something that obviously is recognised by others within the profession and mm. it's valued. I, I love that. And if talking about the backstory, it's all come about from needing to be valued yeah. and to feel that a contribution is being made. So, yeah, I do love it. So was it November 2018 that uh, you had a bit of a rush of blood to the head and a strong drink and signed up for the crazy adventure of owning your own businesses yes yes there are actually what was that a about? Number, of, number of catalysts that led up to that oh and tell us about them yeah so I was working for a, a big organization a, a hospital provider if you like and um, I was really happy with it. I loved the job I loved the day-to-day but I just felt like I could do so much more if I was out of my own I felt like I could do so much more if I was given an opportunity and there were a couple of things that had happened. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of NDIS work. Uh, I was setting up a lot of NDIS stuff and, and they were looking at setting up that, that NDIS work elsewhere within the organisation. 
And they actually um, basically handpicked someone else to do it for them. And I can recall having a conversation and picking up the phone and saying, I don't understand why you would do that. Like I'm sitting here, I've been engrossed in the NDS world for the last six months, I have all this knowledge. And the guy I spoke to just said to me, oh, well, you know, such and such, he's my right-hand guy and that's kind of how it works. And I thought, oh, um, that doesn't sit with my values. (laughs) So I'm not sure that I want to be here anymore. And I just kind of had to think about, well, you know, what's important to me and, and what are my values and, and where does that lie in this NDIS space that I've kind of found myself, you know, engrossed in. And that's where I just thought, you know, if I was actually out of my own, I would have full control over that. Yeah. I could decide yeah. what that's going to look like and, and, and who would do it and how I would do it and, and what service would I provide and, and how would that be done. And I just yeah. kind of thought, yeah, now's the time so to make that leap. Mm. and what sort of leap was it how did it start well I mean that was probably the first catalyst of just going right well I need to set up a business and I had actually set up a business before I think that was the funniest part was that Verve OT used to be called Verve Health Solutions about Mm -hmm. three years prior to that I decided to set up my own OC rehab company I'd I'd come from an OC rehab background Mm -hmm. I went through the entire OC rehab accreditation process um, and then just personal life circumstances, I ended up really not having the time to be able to do it. I was offered a full-time job doing something else, which I went into and tried to do stuff on the side, but it just didn't work out. And then I lost my passion for OC Rehab as well. I think mm. the, the business and setting it up had come about from a place of wanting to do something different. And at the time, OC Rehab was what I knew, but I don't think it was going to be a lasting a thing for me. And and certainly the fact that I chose the full-time position over then pursuing that was the sign yep, that it was. Yep. So false start, just a false start, start. right? Yeah. So, yep. and I'm, yeah, and, and setting up businesses is not, you know, not a new thing for me. I've got lots of side hustles as well. Serial entrepreneur here. <laughs> That's right. Um so, so I knew NDIS at this point and, and so I thought, well, okay, I know NDIS really well. I'm, I'm passionate about it. I'm really enjoying it. I can see the potential that it has, not just as a business owner or an OT, but the potential that it has for people mm. with disability to really make a difference and I yeah. want to be part of that. Um, and so I, the first step was actually getting my registration. So I went through the process of becoming a registered provider and it was right from the get-go. Right from the get-go. Wow. What was your commitment around that? I think it was that I knew becoming a registered provider meant that I had to have policies and procedures. Yeah. I had to have good governance in place. I had to have everything lined up in a row. And I just thought that's the way I want to start. I want to start how I want to finish. And I don't ever want to turn a client away on the basis of their plan management status. Like I I want to be able to say to referrers, it doesn't matter if they're agency self or plan managed, you can come to me and I'll see them. So for me, I saw that as an investment. Um, And at the time, you know, the cost to become a registered provider was about $1,000, but I pay more in my OTA registration or membership for a three-year period than it cost me to be registered at the time with NDIS. So for me, I saw it as a a bit of a no-brainer and starting out. Um, and I actually received notification of my registration approval the day before I was submitting my resignation letter. So it was, oh, what uh, freaky timing! It was really it was a sign of yeah, yeah right, and yeah, it, it felt really good. So um, so I was really happy about that, and so I set out my kind of I had my first referral, which was a. <laughs> I look at it now and think, my goodness, it probably could have sent me down the drain. But it was a massive complex home mods referral. Um, it was a, a that's list- your wheelhouse now, but 
it is now. Back then, I <laughs> build on that. I, I kind yeah. of what I want to refresh on. I'm going to do all the courses. I, I've been to the training with Liz Ainsworth. I've been to the training with Sandy Lightfoot Collins. I, I bought the textbook. Like I'd done everything, and I Had took the badge. And I was like, wow, okay, I've got to, I've really got to learn the home mods process now. Like I have to, I have to understand this. And so I just started digging and digging and I discovered these operational guidelines and NDIS rules and all of this stuff that really wasn't easy to find on the NDIS website, mm-hmm. but really helped me to go, well, this is what the NDIS is looking for here. This is the, the answers that I've got to give them to the questions they're raising. And that approval came back six months later, no questions asked, $150,000 home mod. How many years ago was this? This was, well, it's almost four years ago now. Yeah, 20, so, yeah. That was my, yep. my first home mods approval was $150,000 home mod. Green light. You're yeah, welcome. it was another sign. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a good start. So you started on your own and um, you're still a mobile service. We'll talk about that in a in a tick. That first year, when did you bring in team? How did you develop systems? How did the – because it – yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. So, I mean, in terms of developing systems, I'd worked in the OC rehab space before. Mm-hmm. I knew about billable time, productivity, how to be efficient – and I knew from the get-go I needed a case management system. Again, another no-brainer. Um, yep. I, I often see people post in Facebook groups and say, oh, you know, I can't afford the cost of it. And I'm like, you can. Oh, you my gosh, you can't afford not to. It will save you so much time mm-hmm. um, in invoicing and billing, everything. So right from Compliance. the... Compliance. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. I have my, my case management system in place. I yeah. have that all set up, ready to go. Um, I already have my kind of templates um, that I had created Well, because I'd created them for the organisation I was with previously. So Mm. creating things like the service agreements and that I'd already been able to do. So that was a a fairly easy one. But certainly managing the referrals at the beginning was really hard because Mm. as a sole trader, you want to say yes, but sometimes you have to say no. (laughs) And um, I did learn very quickly about the value of saying no. And um, I got this particular referral for a client. It had come to me as a physical referral. They needed a falls alarm for this client. But when I went out to see her, I quickly discovered it was actually really needed a mental health OT. So the reason they wanted the alarm was to provide her with some reassurance because she kept calling the ambulance service 50 times a day. She kept calling the coordinator 50 times a day. Mm. And they thought a, a falls alarm would kind of give her some reassurance. And I was like... This is this is not what this is going to achieve. Like mm. you need a mental health OT. I said, I'm not a mental health OT, but I'm going to help you find one. And I made a few calls. I found a mental health OT, connected that to the support coordinator. And the next day, the support coordinator sent me three new referrals. And each referral was absolutely appropriate. And she rang there me and she go. said, I've never had someone actually take the time to first of all say, this is outside of my scope and I'm not the best person, but let yep. me help find someone who is. But number two, kind of take the time to actually help guide me as well. Because as support coordinators, that was still very new four years ago. Those roles yeah. didn't exist in the trial phase. Um, and so that referrer still sends referrals to me now. Mm-hmm. We receive, we, we work with all the clients at their day program, which is what the support coordination agency is linked with. And it absolutely established this working relationship that has been positive from the get-go. Yeah, yeah said no so, yeah yeah um, so yeah. over what sort of time frame did teams start to come in 
So I think we took my, well, actually the first uh, team member that came on was actually an OT assistant or admin. That was actually mm. the first person that came on board. Because uh, again, as a sole trader, you, you get very bogged down with invoicing and referrals and the yeah. data entry. And I was like, not no, fun. Not fun. I could be doing, I could no. be billing if I wasn't yeah. doing this. And so the first person that came on board was actually um, my admin and Sue is still with me now. Oh. Yeah, Sue was my, um, when I was a second year OT, she was my student that I supervised. And so Sue and I have kept in contact all of that time. We're reconnected when we both lived overseas. I think I've hired her once before that as well. <laughs> <laughs> She's Repeat just always been right? there. She's amazing. Yeah. So. Um, but then certainly I recognised I couldn't keep managing this caseload. So obviously mm. I was getting all these referrals, which was lovely because I was getting outcomes. So, you know, you get a great outcome, you get another referral because people know that you're going to deliver on what you've said yep. you're going to deliver. But I couldn't handle all the referrals that were coming in. But there were also referrals coming in where I, they were outside of my scope. I didn't feel mm. comfortable taking them. And not because I thought I'd make a mistake. Yes, that's one aspect. But I want to get the best outcome for the client. And if yep. I take on a referral and I don't get that outcome, that doesn't do great things for my reputation. So I basically kind of went out and started talking to OTs that I knew. I was previously an OT department manager, so I, I had some... You knew OTs? I knew OTs. And I just said, do you want to, do you want to come try and work for me? Like, do you want to come and come on board like this? And um, so I started off with subcontractors. Mm. Uh, so flexibility for, for myself as not knowing how much work I would have mm. and flexibility for them as well, not knowing if this was the type of work that they would want to do. Um, and it just really grew from there and um, made the decision very early on that we get the best outcomes OTs when we're doing the things that we're good at. And yep. there are some great generalist OTs out there, particularly in regional and remote areas, because they have to be. There's, there's, there's not yeah. enough OTs. But I think in the metro areas, we have an opportunity to really specialise and, and hone in on those things that we are passionate about. And if we're only kind of doing one thing, we get really good at it. And so mm. Complex Home Mods now, I get $250,000, $300,000 approvals without being asked any questions, you know, because that's all I do now as a clinical yeah. is honed mods. Yeah. Um, so as each new one to OT came on board, the conversation was, well, what are you passionate about? What do you love doing? What do you get the most joy from? Um, what are the areas that you really want to kind of specialise in? And then every OT's, I guess, caseload has then been built around that. So we have OTs that just do mental health, that just do sensory, mm-hmm. others that just do functional assessments or SIL and SDA, some that just do AT and, and seating, and it works really well. And the client at the end of the day gets the best outcome. Yeah, yep. So how many in your team right now? Well, I think... Count the fingers and toes. I've got this all stuff here that I've been working on. Um, (laughs) I've got about, there's about 30 total in the team. And that's a mix now of obviously admin and support staff, um, of subcontractors and of permanent employees. So we do have permanent employees as well. Yeah. Did you think it would look like this four years ago? No, no. At the time, I was just happy that I had enough work for myself. That that's that was all I thought it would be. But I guess looking back now, I'm glad that I started off how I wanted to finish. Like I, I'm glad that I started off with the case mm-hmm. management system, with the registration. The only thing I wish I had done was maybe. Oh, that- I was going to ask if you is there anything you would have done differently. <laughs> 
because I obviously set up as a sole trader to start with. Oh, nightmare. When I had to transition to company, I had to go through NJS registration again. Yeah. So that was a bit of a pain. Um, but I waited until this was around the time where when they first released registration, if you were a company, even if you were providing therapy supports, you still had to go through the certification pathway. So they then overruled that about 12 yeah. months later. So it was a lot easier the second time around just to go through verification again. Yeah. But it was still an extra cost and, you know, another admin kind of um, yeah. audit process to have to go through. Yeah. So that's the only thing. If I had my time again, I would have set up as a company. For mm. But everything mm. else has been a dream. So. so now a team of around 30. Um, why have you decided to be OT only? I I believe that I'm really good as an OT and that's where my skill set and my strengths are. Mm. And my brain also only has so much that it can take in any kind of given work day. Have you only got an OT brain? Is that it? <laughs> no, it is, no, I haven't. <laughs> I have to be fair to myself. I've managed lots of other dis- disciplines. Yeah. I used to be operations manager at lots of OC rehab providers. I had EPs, physios, OTs, speeches. Mm. Um, when I was at um, the hospital that I was at, I was um, at one point the OT, speech and diet department manager. So I actually don't have any problem with managing other disciplines or working mm. with them, but I just feel that there's an opportunity to just do OT and do it really well. Yeah, And I think that that's yeah. where that comes from is that I th- it, there's lots of great companies out there that diversify and do all of those different services and can be that one-stop shop, and that's great. Mm. Um, but I just feel that for me and and the values that I've got, it's about saying we do OT, we do it really well, and we get the great outcomes because it's the only thing we focus on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So running the OT business, you know, that's all ticking along beautifully. Um, the NDIS Piece. Tell us a little bit about the Facebook group and then we'll talk about the training you do because, you know, you, you fit a lot into your 24-7. Yes. So why the Facebook group? What's that community about? So I kind of stumbled onto it by chance, actually. The, the Facebook group was already in, in existence before I became a member of it. Um, so the history of it was that it was um, created by some OTs up in the Hunter, Newcastle region, mm-hmm. um, when the NGIS was in trial phase. And it was created to provide an opportunity to network and and to kind of liaise and talk with each other. And and, um, it's really funny because when I was working for a rehab, uh, sorry, an NDIS provider back in those days, I actually was business development manager and I was up in the Hunter Newcastle area often doing NDIS work. And I remember saying to an OT there, I was like, you know what, you OTs up here, you're so different from Sydney OTs. There's no <laughs> way, there's no way when this rolls out across Sydney, like all the metropolitan areas, that we'll have this kind of networking and and friendly peer support. There's no way that will happen. And <laughs> the Facebook group is proof that I was completely wrong because mm. it absolutely has become this online platform of support to all NDIS OTs, yeah. not just yeah. in your Newcastle, but right across the country. And so I took it over, oh, I'd say probably four and a half years or so ago now. And, and it only came by chance that the admin at the time of the group had was doing other things or had moved on to another role and said, does anyone want to do this? And of course, I put my hand up for everything. And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take that on, thinking that at the time, it's just a matter of, you know, approving members and, you know, deleting spam posts and things like that. Yep. yep. 
And then over time, I kind of realized that it, it had this opportunity to become something more. And, you know, it, it really became particularly during rollout phase when, you know, so many new OTs were kind of coming into this MDI space of going, what do I do here? That there were lots of OTs that had already been working in that space that could kind of fill those gaps and, and really provide that guidance and advice. And it just became this really safe place to ask that yep. question. Of, yep. It's a very like, kind, supportive group. Yeah, that's right. Mm, and, you know, what do I do? I, I don't know, you know, who this is or I don't know what the process should be. Where do I go to for this information? And and so many people willing to give that answer. Um, so that's kind of where it evolved from. And obviously it's it's very different to where it first started now. I think Facebook groups have had that trajectory right across industries um, that they've had more maturity. There's more sophistication in the platform. You can do more things, be more helpful, be more friendly just by the, the functionality of the Facebook groups. How many are in there at the moment? It's just over 8,000 members. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's become a real community of practice. Um, yeah. it, it has really evolved. Um, I think particularly during like COVID and lockdown, there's been a lot of support that was provided, you know, in your Victorian OTs, you know, selling off the oh. New South Wales OTs and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, just yep. sharing of experiences and um, and really kind of, uh, you know, outward support. I can remember at one point during the first lockdown going to Bunnings because there were OTs in that group who could not get safety glasses down in Melbourne and and seeing the post, me going to Bunnings, buying 10 safety mm. cards and posting it to OTs down there, purely on the basis of seeing that call out for help within the yeah. group. There's something so basic, but obviously that they were in dire need of at that time. And I, I think that's what the group does. It really kind of allows that connection, regardless of the location and where people are, yeah. to, to really help one another out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of uh, talk a little bit about the trainings that you do. Um, actually, before we do that, can we talk about Verve? Yeah, sure. the name. You know, like there is the champagne. Uh, we know that. Let's just get that on the record. Why Verve? Well, it did actually originate from <laughs> right? so, so as I said before, Verve OT was previously Verve Health Solutions. And yeah. um, when I set that first business up, I had two business partners, one um, in Australia and one in the UK that I'd worked with in a previous like, rehab life. And we'd kind of gone through, we'd done all this stuff for the accreditation and we're like, we really need a business name, you know, and we've got to have some champagne to celebrate. And one of them said, oh, we should have a glass of verve. And I was like, oh, actually, that's that's a great idea. <laughs> and, and we looked up the spelling of it and realised yeah. verve me is widow. So we're like, that's yep. not going to work. And then when we looked at the definition of verve, it means vitality and vibrancy. And I was like, oh, wow, that that could actually work really well. And so when I, I, I didn't have to keep that name, but when it came to kind of establishing the NDIS business, the OT business, I thought, I really like that. It, it, it matches with what we're trying to do here in that I want to be different. We just want to do OT. Um, I just want to, you know, get clients the best outcome and I want to do it in a way that's different to how everybody else is doing it. So a bit of yep. vitality to it actually works really well. Yep. It's also one of those words that feels great to say. Mm, it does. Yeah, it's got buzz to it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, we've got a little catchphrase that we've been using, which is put a little verve in your life. And I'm like, yeah. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. We'll get that. We'll get that as a quote. 
Running a business isn't just about setting up shop and becoming complacent. It's about showing up for ourselves and our clients with a commitment to continuous improvement. We have to be honest with ourselves about where we're at and where we're going. That means identifying strengths and weaknesses so we can improve. After all, if we're remaining stagnant, how can we scale and build the business and life of our dreams? That's where the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz comes in. We're not talking horoscopes and whole soap here. This questionnaire is the perfect starting point for you to begin identifying your strengths, needs, and blind spots as an allied health business owner. The process is simple. Answer the 14 questions and we'll send you a personalized report that includes actionable steps for you to start taking your business to the next level. Ready to take your business into your own hands? Take the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz today. So got the OTPs, got the Facebook group. Tell us about the training. What were your motivations there? Well, the training came out of the OT group. So I think I'd been managing the group for a couple of years and really, as, as rollout was happening, we're moving into other states, really starting to notice um, a lot more posts from OTs where they're clearly out of their depths and, and not through any fault of their own, but simply yeah. because there was a lack of training and support out there. Um, I think in the very early stages of the NDIS, you know, the agency themselves did run a lot of training for us, which was great, but then it kind of stopped. Yeah. And I think there was this assumption that, oh, you, well, you've all been trained, it's all fine, off you go. But it really wasn't the case. And um, a couple of um, myself and a couple of senior OTs kind of flagged it as a bit of an issue in terms of huge risk. Huge risk it doesn't for set anyone up for success. No, that's right. <laughs> and, and it really felt that like our professional reputation was at risk yeah. because yeah. the feeling was if we don't know these basic things, if we don't understand how this scheme works, if we don't know how to submit these processes, et cetera, what are going to think of us, like, really? Um, and so I kind of, I undenied for ages about it and and then I thought, no, I'm going to just, I know the NDIS. I'm going to put myself out there and say, I know the NDIS. If you want to come and learn the NDIS with me, let's do it. And And that's kind of how it started. So the very first session that was run was called NDIS 101. Um, it still runs now. It's probably later. still relevant. It's Gosh. still relevant. And it really was just a big deep dive into what is this thing? Like what is an insurance model? Mm. What does it mean? And how does that set the context for everything that we do? Um, you know, how do you read a plan? What do the goals mean? Um, you know, who is a support coordinator? What are they supposed to do? It's really just to give the foundations for mm. what are we doing in this space? Um, and really then kind of led to a whole range of other topics. Um, like 24 more. Yeah, well, I think there's probably 30 now. It says oh, crazy. Is wow. Yeah, yeah. So, and I guess as similar to when I started Verbo T, I realised I can't run all these topics. I mean, I could, it'd be great, but I don't have, I don't have the time to do that. But I also recognise I'm not necessarily the expert. Mm. On I know these mm. things. But there might be another OT that's out there that knows them even better than I do. And so then I went out to look for those OTs. And I've now got this amazing team, I guess, of, of experienced OTs across the country who are those subject matter experts. Yeah. Topics like SDA or SIL or animal assistance therapy or assistance dogs or whatever it might be. And when I talked to them about why I wanted to set this up, they were totally on board because they yeah. recognised as well that, we as a profession, we need to upskill and yep. we need yep. to get really good. We need to get great outcomes. We need to deliver on what we said we're going to deliver. 
And the only way that's going to happen is if experienced OTs like us are willing to share our knowledge. Yep. Um, and so initially I looked at it being like a supervision kind of program, but we've then kind of moved more into group training and it seems to work really well. Yep. Um, there's yep. opportunity to meet other OTs that are in the same position as you, um, opportunity to be able to engage and interact within the sessions, to ask follow-up questions. Um, but probably the biggest thing was that we wanted it to also be cost of it has to be affordable, right? And convenient and, and non-demand. Exactly. Yeah, you don't want to wait six months for the to have to fly to somewhere and sit in a room yeah. for three days and you need it now, hey? That's right, yeah. So it has to be at your fingertips. It has to be available readily. And, yeah, it, it can't cost a fortune because mm. I think one of the biggest issues is that often we're investing a lot of our own funding into our PD. You know, we might have the best yep. employer out there in the world, but there's limitations on how much they can actually um, to pay for. So in making the sessions affordable, it meant that more OTs could access it regardless of where they were across the country. Mm, yeah. uh, it also gave you a platform with a lot of flexibility because we all know that the NDIS changes from time to time, often with very little notice. And I guess with a, a, a talent bank like you've got, you can bring in people who are across that sooner rather than later because I don't think the profession can wait for the peak bodies to pick up the trends and kind of bring the training in when people literally might have days to kind of get their head around the new oh, thing. Absolutely. We've had multiple occasions where the night before we have been creating <laughs> the content because the NDIS got new guidelines the day before. Um, and, you know, that that has been quite frustrating, but it's meant we've been able to respond really quickly Adaptability. Um, and yep. ensure that that new information is out to people as soon as they need it. So, yeah, yeah. So let's kind of do a bit of a stock take. Uh, you've got a large team of OTs. They're all mobile. You've got the customer service team. You've got the Verb training. You've got the Facebook group. You've got a family. You've got the life stuff. Where does your focus go across a typical week? And I just we'll, we'll be we'll be a little flexy and generous with typical. Where does your focus go across a week? Oh, look, it's look, everything is broken down into minute allotments for, for every time. <laughs> and basically. for listeners, Sarah's just waving her hands around. <laughs> yeah. It's this kind of Tetris puzzle, really, that yeah. everything has to fit together to make it work. And if one thing comes out, the whole thing falls apart. So um, I think like it's it's finding that balance is really important. And obviously, I think one thing that works well for me is I do work from home. So I'm, I'm not having to sit in traffic to go to an office or things like that. So um, I've got a bit more control about getting that work home life stuff happening at the same time. Yep. Um, a lot of the focus, you know, is on the OT work, it's on the training and it's on the business, but I've also, I guess, outsourced as much as I can. So, um, you know, I have admin that help with the training side, admin that help with the clinical side. I have a cleaner that comes in to help with my house. Um, oh my gosh, it yeah. should be tax deductible. It should be. I refuse to and do it probably is. Mining, yep. So I have someone that comes to pick up his shirts to yep. be because that's not my job to do so. Um, but I also, I do also make sure they have time for myself. And so I, as I said, I've got lots of hustles that I have. Um, but I also, um, I'm very active physically. So I, I play mm. netball a couple of times a week. Um, and I also, this is quite funny, but I do like to share that I'm actually a world ranked high jumper at the moment. I'm actually ranked six in the world for high jump in the 40 to 44 years age group. 
So I'm, many things I could say to that. Did not having, know that. Yes. Having recently returned to athletics competition and competing at the master's level, and I, I kind of, I do take quite pride in that because I never got that world ranking when I was in my teens. So, um, but I think it's important to be able to have those things for yourself yeah. that you know, I don't have to live vicariously through my children anymore for their athletics competitions. Um, they go and watch mummy mummy yeah, do that's sport. Right. They never want to though. Um, mm. But I do, yeah, I do enjoy kind of having those other outlets of um, away from work to, to, yeah. Like, yeah. to, yeah. to put work to the side yeah. occasionally. Yeah. So let's look under the hood and get into some of the more businessy stuff. How do you enjoy the business side of it? I do, I do. And I think um, my biggest issue currently is that the clinical side still pulls me over. It does. <laughs> I, you know, I love getting those 300,000 approvals. <laughs> so, um, but I, at the same time, I also love growing the business and knowing that there's more OTs to be able to help more of our clients. Um, and sometimes, you know, being able to to juggle those two things can be mm. real. So. Yeah. What have you learned from being a businesswoman? Oh, look, I think I've learned that no day is ever the same, um, that no plan ever goes to perfection, that there, there'll yeah. be something. It doesn't matter how much you plan for things. Something will come up. But, but if you can, you know, respond and change and adapt and be flexible, then it will all be okay in the end. So, but I think... Um, I think my key learnings have been that you get great satisfaction um, in having your own business and mm. having that control and and being able to, I guess, be the change that you want to see in the world is, is something I've yeah. seen before. And, yeah. you know, that we can all do great things, um, but there is a bit more flexibility about how great they might be if you're in charge. So, yeah. yeah. And I, 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 what I tend to hear from, you know, coaching conversations and podcast conversations is that it takes a bit of time, you know, and there's this very sort of elegant and sometimes slow, sometimes fast way of changing your role and, and who you need to be in the business. And it makes sense you're a clinician in the early days. And then there's often a phase where you're more of the, the, the director. But some of the directors that I work with will actually always keep some clinical work or even return to some clinical work when they've got their leadership and the executive team in in place. So what if you just pull out the crystal ball, what do you think your business is going to look like in 24 months? Oh, I think I think in that time frame, I will have stepped more out of the clinical work. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would like to see happen is that that gives me that opportunity to actually pass that clinical knowledge on to my my OTs that work with me. Yeah. Um, because if it's all up here in my head, I'm the only one that can do it. So, and I'm only one person. There's only so many hours in the day, mm-hmm. um, and there are so many clients out there at the moment. It just that in real demand for services. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in that time frame, I will have kind of moved into more of that leadership director role and outside of that clinical. Um, but I can still see that I'll be pulled back in every now and then. You know, there'll be a, that a little thing. guest appearance. A guest appearance. That's Sarah. That's Sarah Collison. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Which part of business do you enjoy the most? Oh, look, I do probably enjoy the clinical side the most, but I also enjoy the training when I'm running it. Like mm-hmm. if anyone's been to my training, I'll talk for hours. Like um, <laughs> I ran a new session a few weeks ago about complex home mods and I and it went for two hours. By the time I got to the end of the two hours, my voice was hoarse. Like I could hardly be heard. 
but I could have kept talking for another hour. Um, I just, yeah, I, I do get really passionate when I'm talking about mm. training topics that I have. And I think it's just because I have got so much to share and I'm really happy to share it. Like I'm, mm. you know, I've, I've, you know, I, I often get calls or messages from people that say, oh, you know, thank you so much for what you do. And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, I don't feel the need to be thanked for it. Like I actually do it because I just am happy to do it. Um, yeah. But it's nice to know that it makes a difference for people. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, and I yeah. think it comes back to that wanting to feel valued and having that contribution that you make be valued as well. Mm. And I think that's something that I had always sought whenever I was working for another organisation. I sometimes didn't get that, and I think when you don't get that, it's it's it, it you know it's, it's something that is intrinsically important at the end of the day. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Are there any other uh, kind of trends, for want of a better word, that you've noticed about? The workforce the last couple of years you know we've got the NDIS rolling out we've had the pandemic you're in metro Sydney mm. what have you noticed about the workforce about all those wonderful OTs out there they're just going somewhere and I don't know where they're going but I think they're going somewhere <laughs> I can't work well, that's just broad very broad, I know. But I, I often will say this when I get referrers calling and say, we can't find anyone, everyone's got waiting. So I'm like, yeah, I know. I know that the OTs are out there somewhere. I don't know where they're going. I don't know where they're going. Where do you going. think they are? What's your guess? I worry that some are leaving the profession because mm. it's hard. And I worry that um, some are leaving the NDIS because it's yeah. hard. And I yeah. get it. Like, it is hard. And yep. It's hard to sustain yourself in a role which is so complex and there are so many other complex factors or people that you've got to deal with. I think as OTs, we, we you know, we're female heavy, right? We're mm. mostly female. Um, we probably work for a good 10 years full time. Then we go off and we have kids, so we have these big breaks of maternity leave. And there's probably some of us that come back full time, but a lot of us come back part time. So yeah. it's all like our capacity thins out as we kind of get older. Um, yep. And certainly that's what I've found is like a lot of the OTs that work for Verve are those OTs that are mums mm. and their families that have got lots of demands on their time and they can't work full time. Mm. They are part time or they're subcontracting here and there. And I think that from our profession, we just don't have these full timers that are available. Um, mm. I think that uh, certainly every kind of um, a possible setting that OTs could work in is experiencing the same though. Like yeah. Yeah. Rehab has always had issues with trying to recruit mm-hmm. OTs. Um, the hospitals are, are still having issues with recruiting OTs and I don't feel like that was there kind of, you know, eight to ten years ago. No, it wasn't. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's hard to know, you know, yeah, as I said, I don't know where they've all gone suddenly. I feel like more recently it's been this last six to nine months that it's become more difficult, but it could mm. just be that I've tapped out all the networks that I had. So. <laughs> Run out of OT friends. Right. So. You're having some success with recruitment though? Yeah, look, I am actually. So, yeah. um, and I think again, it's because we've got an offering that's a bit different. You know, um, yeah. we work from home. You've got that yeah. flexibility of not having to go into an office or a hospital. Um, you know, the cost of living. You know, paying for petrol to drive to and from work is not ideal. Mm. Um, but it, it, I guess on the flip side, it does mean that a lot of the OTs we attract are not full timers either. You know, they are part time. They are mums that need some more flexibility, which you know we're we're happy to offer. 
Um, but it does mean that, you know, they fill up pretty quickly. You know, we we just had mm. a new OT come on board two weeks ago and she's already booked out until the end of September, um, So, which is a great problem to have. Mm, love but, a quality problem. You know, it's it's it just means that you're still, it just feels like you're constantly recruiting. Mm. Um, you know, I'm reviewing our website at the moment to kind of update our, our, you know, work with us page. And, you know, I feel like that CCAD, it's like it's just being refreshed every month because, yep. you know, and then, you know, I have had the situation where I was interviewing an OT and they're like, oh, have you got a lot of turnover because you constantly got a like a vacancy advertised? And I said, no, it's the opposite. <laughs> like I don't have OTs leaving but I'm getting constant referrals that I need to keep recruiting because they're filling up their capacity so quickly. Yep. So kind of, you know, that perception of what people might think is happening is actually the opposite. It's, it's you know, we're, we're just at mm. capacity so fast that we can't keep up with the demand. And, you know, I, I still maintain even to this point that if I do have to turn a referral away, I'll try and give that person a lead but I, even now I feel like my lead might be giving them a dead end because I don't think those mm. people got either. Yeah, um, yep. So it's really tricky. And I've, I've got a colleague um, who's a physio who has a practice in Sydney. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago I sent a client to her and then the next day she came back to me asking about the same client. <laughs> and I said, no, I said to you. <laughs> she said, I can't help. So, um, yeah, and I think that that's, that's probably something I'm seeing a bit more of here in Sydney too, though, is that there is that networking. There is that, hey, yeah. client I can't yep. help or, or can you help with this? Or, you know, we um, we do a lot of complex home mods and some of the big kind of organisations near us don't do it. So they send those to us um, and, and we send a lot of the complex seating to them because we don't have a complex seating OT at the moment. So, and I actually think that's really great that we're not yep. in competition. Good collaboration. Yep. Absolutely, because at yep. the end of the day, the client needs to be seen. doesn't matter who they mm. see. They need to be seen by someone. You yep. know, don't hold on to them promising mm. that you might recruit an OT in three months' time because if you don't, if that's three months wasted for that client. Yep. So, on top of all the other waiting they've got ahead of them. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I think yep. having those partnerships and networks and, and just being really open with each other and going, yeah, you could help me and I can help you and there's no money or commission exchange. It's just It's just what we do. Um, yeah. And it works yeah. really well. So, yeah. Yeah. So, whilst you've had leadership experience in previous roles, what's it like leading your own team in your own business? Oh, there's a lot more pressure. Yeah. What's that about? I think that there's that responsibility of knowing that you are their, the provider of the income that they receive. <laughs> so, and I, yeah. and I, but I think this was really highlighted during the second COVID lockdown because in the first COVID lockdown, I only had subcontractors. I didn't have employees. Mm-hmm. And so when all of those referrals kind of dried up and all the appointments had to be cancelled and we all moved to telehealth, we, we had a huge loss of, you know, I think it was 30 to 40% drop yeah. in, in, in income. And that was income for those subcontractors. And at the time, you know, everybody was in the same boat. It was very easy to say, look, I can't do anything. Like this is this is what, what it is and uh, this is why you're a subcontractor, mm. that you know that this is something that will happen. But what happened in the second lockdown is I then had these employees that I still had to pay and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. And then I had these subcontractors 
where I had to kind of go, well, I really need to give those referrals to my employees and not you, the subcontractor. Oh, leadership and moment. It was, it was. Yeah. And I remember having a really kind of, you know, conversation with one of those subcontractors. He said, I really need those referrals and I need more work to be coming through. And I'm like, I get that, but you're a subcontractor. That's the nature of this arrangement that we have. And I've got six employees sitting over here that I have to pay regardless of what work yeah. they and they they need to be my priority. So it was kind of a, a, a bit of a moment of wow, this is this is really serious right now. And it felt much more serious than what it had before. Yeah. Not that I was making light of it before, but just I felt such a bigger responsibility. Responsibility. Yeah. Absolutely. And I just I had to, I just felt what was really important for me as a leader was to reassure those employees that. We're going to get through this. It, it doesn't matter what happens with appointments, referrals. There's other things that you can do. Don't worry about the billing. Everyone will get paid and we will get through this and it, it will work out. Mm. Um, and I've kind of um, had all, already had a bit of a like a war chest or a slush fund set aside you know, in the event of a emergency. Yep. Love a war chest. Uh, yeah. And um, and that, that I'll always have that now because yep, it absolutely. was really stressful. And, you know, I can remember actually because um, I've got some really good friends from uni who are OTs and we would always do these Zoom catch-ups during lockdown. I can remember sitting here at my desk crying in one of those because I just felt under such pressure mm. to make these decisions and and having no one to go to because it was just me as the director. I, mm. I didn't have a clinical services manager at that time, but I had all these people relying on me and it was really stressful. Yeah. And then one of them, you know, rang the next day and said, let's talk it over. Like what, what, if I was your manager, what would you get me to do or what could I help you with? And I was like, oh, okay, this is this is good. I should have thought to reach out to someone. But, you know, it can be very lonely when yeah. you're the only kind of leader mm. in your team. So. Yep. And the buck starts and stops. It does. With you to a large extent. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, and sometimes you've got to make, you know, difficult decisions and um, sometimes you'll question or second guess yourself. And sometimes you won't even get it right. No, that's right. <laughs> I've had, I can look back over my career and see plenty of times where I would redo a conversation I've had yeah. with someone or a situation that occurred or there was a miscommunication or whatever it might be. Um, but I think you just learn from those things. You know, yeah. I, you know, I've had to terminate people in the past. It's never nice, but it's not personal. Um, mm. And, you know, sticking to the facts, being aware of what the obligations mm. are, being aware of how that person will be feeling and, and you know, considering yeah. respectful of that. But, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's not, it's not an easy thing. Mm. Mm. Got a couple more minutes. You can kind of have the talking stick for the last piece. What would you like other business owners to think about? Uh, oh, actually, I've got a big one. Um, okay, I'll just I'll pin my ears back, go for it. Look, one of the things that we see a lot of, or we have been seeing a lot of in the OT providers group over the last six to 12 months, um, I guess is the lack of support for new grads. Um, and it's something that I'm quite passionate about. But I'm passionate about, it, I guess, in a different way because as at Verb, I would never take on a new grad. And the reason for that is that I don't feel like a when you've got a mobile service and you don't have an office or a clinic that you can necessarily provide them with the right kind of support. At least in this point in time, I don't feel that I can. But what worries me is when we see these posts from new grads um, mm. that are really struggling and they're saying things like, 
you know, I've been given this complex home mods referral, but I don't have any training in complex home mods. Or I've been asked to do this, but there's no other OT in my organisation to actually supervise me. And, you know, when you dig a little deeper, you find out that these new grads have kind of been promised the world and then they turn up and they start work and they really don't have the support yeah. they need. And, you know, it's not just about not having an OT there, but not even having access to an OT. I yeah. interviewed someone last month and they told me that their OT supervisor was based in New Zealand and that if they needed to get access to them, they could only do so via email. And for someone who's six months out, I just don't think that's appropriate um, at all. No. And so my big message to business owners is that, like, I get it. New grads, they're cheap. Um, you can mould them. You can train them up. Um, you can, you know, really kind of um, make money off them. That's wonderful for you. But please don't do the wrong thing by them. Like, you actually mm. have to train and support them. You have to nurture them. They're fresh out of uni, four years you know, some of the placements that they may have done you know, may or may not be suitable um, to, to the kind of area of practice that they've now gone into. But you actually need to invest in them. You know, it is an investment yep. you're making. If you want to get that big return, you need to invest in them. And it's not hard to send them on training or to give them on the job training, to have programs in place for upskilling. And there mm. are some great organisations out there that do do it some of those big providers, because I've taken OTs on from those providers and they're fantastic. Mm. Um, but mm. there are these, I guess, other businesses out there that are really not doing the right thing. Um, and I just really encourage them to think about that new grad experience and um, because I think potentially it's one of the things that's leading to this dropout of the profession. Yeah. If they yeah. start in these roles, they're completely burnt out, they're not supported, um, and then they just walk away because it's too hard um, and it really shouldn't be the case. Yeah. Oh, couldn't agree more. It's more than an investment in their first two years. It's really an investment in their 30 years. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Um, and look, I, as I said, I, I'm always very much about I want to give to the profession. And so whilst we don't have new grads, we have taken on students. Um, and even with our students, like we've taken them on mm. like a complex home mods placement. I've sent them to the OTA course while they're on placement. I have paid the $750 for that student to go on that placement because it's my opportunity to help invest in that new grad yep. to, to benefit some other client or some other organisation. Down the track. And I'm really happy to make that investment because I still get something from them while they're there on placement as well. Mm. They help with billing. They do some drawings. They develop resources. You know, I'm getting something out of it yeah. too. But I think it's important that we recognise that that investment is, is going to pay off in the longer term for the profession. Mm. Right. Completely agree. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for coming in, Sarah, and sharing uh, where it's all up to now. Oh, no, very happy to. I love having a chat. I love talking about this kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, <laughs> thank you very much for the opportunity. I have to say, because I listened to Chantelle's podcast this week, and I was like, I'm not sure if I can follow Chantelle. So she's amazing. <laughs> um, but thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on naker.com.au. And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others 
forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.